0: craft Welcome back. This is the Craft Beverage Institute of the Southeast. My name again is Puff. I've got a very special guest with me, Diane Courier from Honey Girl Meadery, building up the buzz. I'm very excited. We've, uh, I've been lucky enough already to try some of your meads that you brought and shared with my class. So I'm in rare form today, we'll say, but I'm so happy that you're here. Thank you very much for showing up uh, to this crazy podcast, Consuming the Craft. Thanks, Diane.
1: I'm absolutely thrilled to be here Jeff thank you for inviting me
0: so we're trying to build the buzz so to speak uh, which is one of your monikers uh, tell us about me why did you what how'd you get into this what's the what's the anticipus of this uh, uh, you are taking over the world I know you're taking over the world and in <laughs> the meads I just took uh, let me believe or lead me to believe that uh, it's it's coming very very shortly so how what can I do to drink more of your mead?
1: <laughs> oh, thank you so much. Um, there's a lot of ways that one can get interested in mead. For me, it was very much the connection of the flowers and bees, the nature connection. Uh, people get into mead because they of the Vikings, because of uh, Game of Thrones, because of the historical aspect. But honestly, for me, it was tasting a mead after walking through a field of wildflowers that uh, were that became the honey for that mead. And it just felt like I'm drinking a glass full of flowers.
0: It's like your experience still walking in that field.
1: Totally, I can always see that field uh, when when I talk about it. And I do talk about it on our tours at the meadery and you would think I might get sick of that story, but it's magical, it's my my touch point for mead. It's important to have that because there's a lot of long hours in making mead and it's really uh, rewarding to come back to that vision of a field of flowers, those billions of bee visits that end up in a glass of
0: mead. And we're saying mead like everyone knows what we're talking about, but it's really a fermented honey beverage. Right. And, and you take honey and you do magical things, right? We we, <laughs> we look at the honey itself, we add some water, we add some yeast, and, and kind of the yeast takes its course. But there's I, it, certainly there's more to it than that. And some of the meads you shared with us today, like the uh, the Sizer, which is a blend of uh, apple cider and honey, and, and it just you know you can be as creative as you want but there's the balance that you achieved in your meads uh was was remarkable uh there was a sweetness and earthiness and uh you know that the dry finish and it was very palate cleansing on some and some were you know really led themselves to uh to desserts or or you know main course kind of things and pairings uh your balance and your the art form of doing this where how long did it take you to figure that out
1: hmm <laughs> Uh, I think of mead as it is definitely a combination of science and art. I am a cook. I am a kitchen cook. And I think about the whole uh, balance of mead. That kitchen cook comes into play a lot. I've got science um, heavy in the front end of a mead fermentation, especially when it's just honey, water, and yeast. Uh, I need to think about the science there and make sure that my yeast is well fed and well cared for. Uh, In the secondary stage or the post-fermentation stage, that's where that uh, kitchen cook creativity comes into play. For me, that secondary stage is all about creating that balance and combining flavors. There are great resources out there. If it's not a strong point for somebody, I would say the Flavor Bible, is a really great resource for folks to look at um, but also just there's inspiration around every corner, there, especially with mead, which is honey-based. You know, c- you can imagine that the tea aisle is gonna be a great place for flavors that are gonna go great with honey. Um, but our mango habanero, for instance, um, there I had a mango habanero chicken dish oh, at a so restaurant good. once, right? Yes. So sometimes that inspiration just comes from food. I do like for mead to be very, um, light in sugars, although I also like a very sweet mead, but when they are a little bit lighter they're very food friendly. Yes. Um, and they pick up on some of those flavors that are in some of those recipes. Well and
0: it's pairing like with like or, you mm-hmm. know, that yin and yang. It's not trying to mask any of the food that you're trying to eat. Right. Uh, it's 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 a complimentary thing. It's you know, it's just like pairing wine or beer or cider or spirits. You know, it's a there's a lot of different principles to look at in in like I said, some of the stuff I tasted today uh, was absolutely phenomenal. Uh, which brings me into that field of flowers you're walking through. We've tried to do the same thing and capture uh, that essence of, of something local and I know you try to keep everything as local as possible, which I'm a, a big fan of as well. Uh, we've been lucky to be sponsored by Danny McConnell, McConnell Farms. Taste the way that you remember. <laughs> See, that's called a transition in business. Uh, but he's, uh, he's donated a bunch of apple juice. So it's, you know, that apple blossom and, and some of those other flavors that you could get. We've tried to capture that apple flavor and uh, that drink that's right next to you. Mm-hmm. is uh this is booze clues so i've poured you i gave you a, a bunch of hints there of what this is and and uh i know that you're an enthusiast and you said you're an omni drinker you drink you don't discriminate uh it's about learning flavors and blending palate and of course everything in moderation but but it's you know experiencing these new flavor profiles and then how you can relate that back into something that uh that you're making or doing and so i'd be curious to see what you think of this uh this particular product
1: wow well very smooth i just had a sip i i'm getting over a cold so we do have a, some limitation in my palate. but i immediately do get the apple and the blossom i can really kind of see the apple tree if it, it tastes very fresh in a way and also very old i don't so, it's hard to describe but the depth that's there i get that floral light aspect of apple but also a lot of depth due to
0: the... Uh. So this is, this is the apple brandy we're making here, and I'm, I'm trying to capture that fresh apple essence, but this is over a year old now. Mm. So 3-5-18 uh, was when that was finally put into its aging vessel. And we've done some things to kind of expedite the aging and do some some crazy you know chemistry experiments with it. We're really, really excited. It's, it's aged over French oak and a little bit of cherry wood. Uh, it is actually at cast strength, so I'll, I'll warn you ahead of time to be careful with it. Mm-hmm. It's probably about 50% alcohol right now. Uh, that's why I poured you such a small glass. <laughs>
1: uh,
0: because, we, of course, everything in moderation. But I think, you know, what you're trying to do and capture uh, the flowers or, you know, that, that, that story you told about walking through that smell and that beautiful. Uh, you, you said it was up in Alaska.
1: Right, this was in Homer, Alaska. My sister lived there at the time and we were hiking through a field of fireweed. This is an Alaskan wildflower that comes in after a forest fire and just fills the area. It grows about five feet tall. It's covered in bright pink flowers. Mm. And of course, I'm in Alaska in the summer, 24 hours of daylight, very palpable energy. And uh, the outdoors is a huge part. And uh, that afternoon, we went to my first meadery uh, to ring a fire meadery. They retired, and, um, but did had a great, I think, 20-year run. Uh, and they offered me a fireweed mead there. And I felt like, oh, my God, I was just in those flowers. So they ruined you. They did. <laughs> <laughs> they did. That no, got the it's, wheels it's, turning on that mead adventure of mine. It's
0: capturing that essence. Like it, It's such an amazing thing when you start talking about individual varietals of honey or mm-hmm. how you can grab yeast to ferment out a particular batch of honey to coax more flavor out. And you've been very creative uh, in some of the blends. What is, what's your... I'm not going to say what's your favorite because that's a terrible, terrible question because they're like your children, let's be honest. That's
1: so true. No,
0: and it's like I don't drink the same thing for breakfast every morning. Sometimes <laughs> I have bourbon, sometimes I have vodka. I don't, I don't discriminate in that way. But seasonally and, and, and other things, the way people drink, what trends are you seeing in the meat industry? And I know that you're one of the original four in the state
1: Right. We were the fourth meadery in North Carolina, where as of 2019, uh, we opened in 2014, and this year, 2019, there will be a dozen uh, commercial that's, mead producers in the state. That's amazing. It is it's it is amazing. It's a little microcosm of the macrocosm, of what's going on with mead across the United States. Yes. And uh, you mentioned seasonality, and I think that that's a huge part of the way that we eat and drink Agreed. now. So here we are going into spring. You know, all the trees are just blossoming out now, but it's still a little bit cold. So this apple brandy that you just poured in my glass is really nice. Shoulder a bit season. apropos for the situation, yeah, very. Because right? I'm yeah. thinking about those trees just blossoming, and like I said, I could pick up on that in here. But and I wish people could see this. Of course, they can't because we're on a podcast well
0: but wait, you could describe it's, brilliant it's a, it's a golden yellow color
1: golden color that um just really shines it's it's uh, it's beautiful to look at it's got r- gorgeous legs and uh it's very honey-colored, so is. that's it, attracting me it, I, I, as well. I
0: thought it would be kind of right in your wheelhouse with some of the stories and, and things that you were telling earlier. Now, you just got back from the American Mead Association Conference?
1: Yes. The Mead Con is held out in Colorado every March, and uh, I was lucky enough to be able to take the week and head out there. Uh, it's wonderful. Any sort of professional conference is not only the fantastic speakers, but a lot of the magic is happening in between the sessions when you are getting to catch up with fellow mead makers and sharing tips and making contacts, um, sharing meads. That went on well into the evening, yes. um, many nights there. Uh, but uh, very excited. I was. Uh, we are getting ready to branch out into session meads this year, um, which are lower ABV meads it's been a category that I haven't played a lot in. We started as a wine style uh, meadery and uh, I've just had so many delicious session meads. When you talked about seasonality and what's in your glass, to me that season is coming where, even though they're very appropriate year-round, a session meat is carbonated, lower ABV, and spring and summer just seems like that's when you wanna carry that crushable can, when you're out in nature. Re- or
0: that recyclable, and, and, and you made a very valid point. There's a lot of places where you can take a can that you can't right. take a bottle. Right. And not only for safety reasons, but just for, you know, the, the, the heft of the bottle. You know, you, if you're gonna hike up the top of a mountain, it may be easier to cra- right. you, you know, pack two cans in than it would be a bottle. Certainly, it's recyclable and it's it's uh, you know a good steward stewardship of environment. Every time you want to recycle all that stuff anyway, but I like uh, I like the idea of a sessionable mead, sp- specifically something that's a little more effervescent. I, I'm you had mentioned uh, in a, a talk you gave to my students about how you are addicted to carbonation or, mm. or you're a fan of seltzer water. I, I too. Uh, you know, grew up in the soda pop era and it's one of those things where I gravitate towards carbonation so much that I think a sparkling mead in a can could, uh, could do some pretty crazy things. I think it could pe- can really compete with a lot of things and it would be something that would be so unique in the marketplace, uh, specifically with everyone trying all these new things and trying to, you know, broaden their palette and broaden their horizon. And with the excitement around me that's building and has been building for a long time, I think it's the perfect time, I really do.
1: Yeah, I couldn't agree more. It is great to see uh, just, and these are really coattails or uh, kite tails from craft Bev starting back in the 80s, really.
0: Yeah, yeah. the craft um. beverage, you know, bloom is, is something that you mentioned again in that same lecture when people started to wanna see something other than the same yellow beer that that uh, everyone was drinking so now we have we have the luxury of going to the store and seeing an amazing array of colors and flavors and and Mm -hmm. marketing and you know picking out what stands out or looking for that unique product and i think mead could really scratch that itch for a lot of people that you know you you also and i i don't want to go back i should have recorded the the (laughs) talking gave because i keep going back and like everyone's tried a mead that mm-hmm. someone made probably a long time ago, right? Uh, with certainly not the modern techniques and, and some of the books that have now been written and all the experimentation that's been done, and they're like, I tried mead once and I'm I'm, I'm done. Well, that's silly.
1: Absolutely. It's
0: really silly. Like if you <laughs> had a bad beer, you're not done drinking beer.
1: Who would be done with beer? Right,
0: or you had a bad <laughs> steak at a restaurant, you're not done eating steak. That's just silly
1: yeah these are all really good points um and people are adventuresome drinkers and i love seeing that they say that there's different trends that are happening now where uh new drinkers coming on board or maybe less brand loyal but uh, to me that's not what's important what is important is that they're adventuresome they want to try new things they want to try different experiences and so do i so i love seeing that come around um, you know, there's room for always having your favorite beverage as well.
0: Oh, everyone's got to go to, right? Like, like even if it's seasonal, it's like, oh, it's it, like you said, it's, it's becoming spring. You see the blossom. I want something a little bit lighter, crisper, refreshing. Right. Well, th- That's easy enough to do. Uh, mead isn't just to be drank straight. You can also make cocktails with it.
1: Oh my gosh. This is a really fun area for us. We have a lot of different cocktail recipes on our website. Um, because we are cooks and love to mix different flavors. Um, and you're with honey as your main ingredient there, you can just kind of see that you can riff on that in a lot of different directions.
0: Well, and there's so many flavors to like discover and and you are very creative with certainly the you know, the the spices or fruits that you're adding to it and you can see how everyone else can be that creative as well. So it's one of those things where it could be a part of a cocktail, certainly you can drink it straight. I, You saw me do it, uh, <laughs> glass after glass, because I do that for the student. Again, I, I really just drink at work, it's just I work a lot. <laughs> Workaholic is what I like to call you it. You
1: are dedicated. Well, it's
0: for the kids, Yeah, it's really for the kids. You gotta um, love that. So getting back to kind of the grassroots of, of the Mead revival, you have taken it upon yourself uh, to really start from scratch. I mean really from, from a very, uh, I'm not gonna say minimal investment because certainly there was a giant investment involved but you've grown and projected and kind of grown with uh, the culture of Mead and, and really established a lot of that culture with Mead. Where can people find you? Where do they, where do they seek you out?
1: That's a great question, and and this is evolving as well. There are sometimes there's a lot of difficulty trying to find a mead, and I get it. The bottle shops sometimes have a hard place, hard time deciding where does this belong? Should it, because of some of the older stereotypes, Or misconceptions about mead, such as, oh, my God, it's made from honey. That must be treacly and sweet, so let's put it by the dessert wines. Or, oh, my gosh, it's made from honey. Okay, well, sake is made from rice, so maybe it goes near the sake. Or,
0: (laughs) It's in a category all its own. It It really really is. is.
1: It is hard to find it in one consistent place anywhere. A lot of stores put it with the the craft cider because of the gluten-free connection. Um, A lot of times it is... In dessert wines, which is a little bit challenging for us, because I really prefer the drier style or a drier side of the
0: spectrum. I do too. And your mead's finished so clean and so brilliant. And I can't, like, teaching here uh, and you know making sure that the student understands. You know some of the techniques you we were talking about staggered nutrient additions where you're adding nutrients you know throughout the first part of the fermentation to make sure that the yeast health is, is at its optimum level so we're not experiencing some of potential off flavors that you know if you had your cousin's mead that he made in his basement with mm-hmm. a dirty bucket you've probably smelled and tasted some of those things which we're trying of course to avoid at all right. costs and so it's one of those things where I'm excited to hear know what you've done as far as even education in your own facility you know you're, you're educating the consumer you're getting them as excited about the product as you are and you you kind of get to experiment and play quite a bit
1: absolutely
0: and that's the fun part of it right
1: it is incredibly fun um, like I mentioned I love to cook so it is really fun to play around with different flavors the modern mead making world has uh really opened up a lot of opportunity for us whereas yes we used to have to maybe make that mead in the basement and age it out forever to for so
0: many years forever. but there's so many better techniques <laughs>
1: there's so many better techniques really there is yeah and so much more information than to even 2004 when i first started making it that really was it was all about you got to boil you got to do this um and i heard you mention you're guys are going to take a look at that, boiling versus not boiling. Well, I stopped boiling. I don't boil anymore I and haven't you for lose years. I so many
0: delicate flavors of the honey when you boil. Yeah, yeah I totally uh, and, agree. And, and, you know, there's sporulation that can happen with things that can land in honey and just live, but I really think it is a detriment to not only the, the, the bee, you know, but all mm. the beautiful things that they're eating off of Right. To, to boil off some of those delicate aromatic flavors of the honey that have really been a lot of hard work has gone in to put them in there so, so much
1: hard work and it, it, we're going to test
0: that we're going to see I'm what so happens glad. uh you know just doing a regular you know three to one probably mixture and a really really standard base and see what we can can glean from uh from that experiment
1: Absolutely, I, it's going to be a very worthwhile experiment. Plus, honey has those antifungal, antibacterial. You know, it's a it is a truly miraculous thing that the bees make from and a no, billion it, visits.
0: And the coolest thing about it is, it's not 100 percent understood. No, there's still. I want to say there's still magic in that honey. There really is. Definitely. It, it's not quite. So, if someone wants to come find you and learn more about your mead. Where are you located? We're where, where in do downtown
1: you, Durham, North Carolina. <laughs> Durham,
0: North Carolina. And, and they can come find you, and they can drink some of your amazing meads.
1: Absolutely. We have a tasting room there on site. We're at the Durham Farmer's Market every Saturday. And uh, you had asked, oh, where are we here in Asheville? Part of my trip coming up is to get us here in Asheville. No, and, and, <laughs> and I've got some
0: contacts we'll talk about uh, when we're not on, the, uh, <laughs> not on the mic. But that being said, um, head to honeygirlmeadery.com yes and poke around it's a great website there's a lot of great information and certainly it's uh, easy enough to find you from there and I can't thank you enough uh, for not only sharing all your knowledge with my students uh, on the curriculum side of things but uh, sitting here and having a cocktail with me Uh, I appreciate you making the trip all the way up here so uh, I can't thank you enough and once again I can't thank Donnie McConnell from McConnell Farms for uh, doting and all the stuff that he does for uh, the program here, the Brewing Distillation and Fermentation Program here at AB Tech. So thank you once again, Diane, uh, for stopping by. We'll uh, hopefully have you here again soon, and we'll talk real soon.
1: Thank you, Jeff. It's been an absolute pleasure.
0: Cheers. Thanks, Diane.
1: Cheers.